0: Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. It's a real privilege to be um, bringing God's Word again this morning. And if you were here last week, you'd have seen that Joel started our new series called The King and His Kingdom, looking at the book of Acts. And it's going to be an exciting journey that we're going on, and I'm going to pick up from that. But what we saw last week was that Jesus, though he was crucified and buried in a tomb, on the third day he rose. Jesus is alive. And he appeared over the next 50 days to um, many people, his disciples who spoke with him, walked with him, talked with him, touched him. But the Bible also says that over 500 people were witnesses to the risen Lord, were convinced that Jesus, who had died on the cross before their very eyes, was alive, had risen. And I want this morning to ask you, when was it that you were convinced that Jesus is the Son of God and is very much alive? When was it that you were convinced that he bore your sin on the cross? Think back to that time. For each of us, it will be different. We each have our own story. For myself, I grew up in a Christian home. I'm sure many of you were in the same position, hearing the gospel message over the years in different ways. And um, I think it was in my early teens that I became convinced of the truth and probably due to being part of a a really lovely youth group and my youth leaders witnessed to me. And yet, in my late teens, I completely turned my back on God. It wasn't that I didn't believe, but I was of that age where I wanted independence. I wanted to live my life and I wanted to have fun. And I sought for, for freedom and fulfillment in a career. And I went down that road for quite a while. Years later, I started to realize that what I thought was freedom was actually bondage. What I thought was um, doing things my way actually left me completely feeling like it was meaningless. And my relationships were shallow. The career that I was pursuing had come at a great cost. And I gave up working and took a year out to travel. And I thought, this is gonna be a time that I'm gonna really work out what, what's important. I realize now looking back that God had been drawing me to him. I had been faithless, but he had been faithful to me. And I, I repented, I turned back and asked him to forgive me for going my own way. And he welcomed me in. And I can honestly say my life has never been the same since what I thought was um, fulfillment that the world could offer was, was nothing compared to a relationship and a life walking with Jesus. It's a little bit of my story, but each of us has a story. Each of us has um, uh, a testimony of what God has done, but there is a common thread. I'm going to read um, from... I've lost my, my verse. I'm going to read from Romans 10, 14 to 15. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him unless they have heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. The common thread for each of our stories is that there were messengers bringing good news. Let's just commit this time to God. Heavenly Father, I just want to, to give aside the, these minutes to you to look at your word. And I pray that for each of us, you would um, comfort and encourage, but also challenge us, Lord. And that we might get excited to be those messengers bringing good news. Thank you. Amen. Our passage that we pick up where Joel left off last week is Acts 1, 6 to 11. It will be up on the screen, or you can look it up on your, on your phone or your Bible. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven." I find it interesting that though the disciples had spent three years with Jesus and have had probably a very intense last 50 days learning from him, speaking with him, asking questions, there still is some misunderstanding here about what is going to happen. And I believe this is very much to do with their Jewish worldview. The Jewish people had such a rich heritage that they would have been brought up on. From an early age, they would have heard stories of the good years with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with Moses, the kings like King David. Also, the bad years with progressively evil kings and a rejection of God by Israel. They had the sorrow that for over 600 years now, they had been, since the time of Nebuchadnezzar taking them into into Babylon as captives, they had been under another nation. They had been governed by others which was hard for them. At currently, as we, we read, they were being ruled by the Roman Empire, which ruled with a heavy hand. And so the Jewish people were holding on very much to the promises that God had given the Old Testament prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, of a restoration of Israel, they believed that the Messiah was going to come in power and bring in a new time, overruling the Roman um, the Roman rule, and once again they were going to be a great earthly kingdom. Now, if you imagine that was their expectation, then the new the followers of Jesus, it's not surprising their final question: "Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel?" It speaks of this expectation and hope. And and Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. He doesn't say or reject an expectation of the Messiah coming in power, but he says it's for God's timing. And he moves their focus, instead of what will happen one day, onto what was happening now and what was expected of them. And he says, you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this morning we're going to look at what does it mean to be God's witnesses. And we're going to look at um, how we do that a little bit and we're going to look at why it's important. A witness basically is someone that sees something and then speaks to it. When they speak of it, it's said to be bearing witness or giving testimony, a bit like in a court of law. Last summer, I experienced this a little bit. My friend, in fact, she's here, Naomi, this morning. We witnessed this man just shortly before he committed a serious crime. And we were, um, he was arrested, and we had to give witness to what we saw. And it wasn't something that we, we took casually, because what we witnessed to would have an impact. be used in court. And so being a witness is saying or speaking to what we've seen. In the Bible, the word witness speaks about someone and, and also of an action. The witness is someone that speaks about what they've experienced and their actions give witness to what they believe or what they've experienced. And the idea of witness is actually It's a theme that runs through the Bible. It's an important theme. The Bible says that actually God has never been without a witness to who he is and his character. I wonder if you've ever considered that creation itself bears witness to who God is. Elohim, the creator God. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what had been made so that people are without excuse. Creation bears witness. And in fact, one of the reasons that God chose to set aside a people for his own Israel was that they would bear witness to him, that the the nations would look on and see their God at work protecting, leading, guiding his sovereignty, his power, his faithfulness, his love, and Israel's response to him would bear witness to the world of God and that his name would be praised because of it. Sadly, very often, Israel wasn't a great witness when they weren't witnessing. The prophets of God gave witness, and ultimately, Jesus was and is God's greatest witness. Through his life, his words and actions, through his death and resurrection, he witnesses to his Father, to the world, and of his Father's love. Isaiah 43.10 speaks of Israel being a witness. It says, you are my witnesses, O Israel, um, says the Lord. You are my servants. You have been chosen to know me, believe in me, and understand that I alone are God. But now it is for the church. We are his witnesses. Luke, in chapter 24 of his gospel, speaks. It gives a little bit more detail about what that means. Jesus says he told them, that it was written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. We call this the, the Great Commission that we must go out and witness to what we've seen, what we've experienced, who God is, what he did on the cross, and the need for repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is the heart of the gospel message, the good news. And for those early believers, they were part of the story. They had seen it. They were there, and now they were being told that you will receive power, and then you will go out First to Jerusalem, well that makes sense, this is the heart, the capital of Israel. Then to Judea, makes sense, you know, still home territory. Then to Samaria, not so much, Um, near neighbors but considered enemies. And then to the ends of the world. What would that have meant to these Jewish followers of Christ? As we've already noted, they were expecting the Messiah to come in power and bring in a new era. They expected Israel's identity to be renewed, to be strengthened. And instead, Jesus is saying, go out. In fact, he's commanding, go out. They would have been more inclined to look inward, and he was saying that they needed to take it outward. This would have been countercultural for the Jews. And it would require for the new followers a real radical change in worldview and in thinking. I want to think though for a moment what it meant though. God's redemptive plan was no longer just for one nation, it was no longer just for those chosen people in the Middle East. It was no longer just for those that were trying to be morally good or religious. In fact, it was the opposite. The gospel message was that it did not matter which nation you came from, which country you came from. It didn't matter how hard you were trying or how badly you were failing. The good news was for everyone, completely inclusive for all. And once these disciples and followers got their mind around this this change of direction, this change of focus, it was liberating. They could go anywhere and share with anyone what Jesus had done. And that message of 2,000 years ago is the same today. It is as liberating and life-changing and radical today as it was then. And we are called to go out But unfortunately, for us also, sometimes the going out can be as counter, um, just not our worldview as it was for them then. Sometimes for us, it's just as hard to be looking outwardly as, um, as it was for them. I wonder for ourselves in the church, we live at a time where there is a lot of division in the world, often on racial or cultural lines. When the church is looked at, are we seen to be breaking down these boundaries? Are we seen to be looking outward and inclusive? Or are we like the Jews at that beginning time? Are we more inclined to stay looking inward? Often for churches, there's a lot of emphasis putting up on edifying and building up from within, which is crucial. But sometimes there's not so much emphasis on taking it outwards. I read a book last year called Global Humility that really challenged me on Western thinking and how it could influence um, the way that I looked at this commission to go outwards. It is easier to share our lives and to share our testimony with people that we can relate to more easily, but I believe that um, in Dubai, at City Hill, we are in the most unique position. Certainly my, my experience in my life, this is the most unique of places. We could consider it God's training ground in this area. As I stand here today and look out at so many nations represented just here, we did a count a few weeks ago, forgotten what it was, but it was in the late 30s of different nations res, um, represented, probably more if everyone had been there. We are in a place where God can train us, mold us, change us, refine us, whatever word you want to use, to see beyond countries and nationalities, to see ourselves as God sees us, as his children together. And I believe that we can, I think we're doing it anyway, but I think that we can purposefully look to learn from each other, look to Break down wrong thinking, get rid of negative understandings, learn to relate cross-culturally in a way that if we were living in our home countries, we wouldn't be able to do. And that would be good now, but God can use this for what he has in store for us in the future. So my challenge to me and to you this morning is... Each Friday, or other days of the week, but on a Friday, we need to go and talk to people that we haven't talked to before. We need to learn about different nations, hear people's stories, learn to break down any confusion or boundaries there are. We're doing that already, but I feel that we should be more purposeful about it and then that we can be that light in this world where there are so many tensions and divisions that we can be different. We are privileged to be part of regions beyond as well whose focus is to reach out to the nations, particularly with the unreached people's group We're we're, um, privileged to have Fuzi, one of the regions beyond global leaders here. And so we get insights into what's going out in the nations. We get to hear about the different churches that we're in relation with. Sometimes we can even go on missions. And so we're very blessed with that. And as um, Joel mentioned earlier, we've got Howard and Pixie that are next month going to the Philippines to Palawan to minister to, if I'm right in saying an unreached people group, Bajo community? Bajo. Um, And so we can support them in that. We can be, in a sense, part of that. And I don't know if Kingsford is here. Yes, he is here, was telling me last week that he and um, Solomon's city group, you may be part of it, have feeling God's leading them to go on a mission to Liberia to support... um, the church there, George, and the team there. And so we can get involved, but let's look at also our relationships that we might be refined in this area, that we can go out into the community of Dubai. And I believe one day, because Dubai is transient, that the skills that we're learning, the barriers that we're breaking down in our own hearts will be used by God going outwards. And so now I want to think just a few things practically of what it means to be God's witnesses. Now, um, there are so many books written on this subject. There's so much material out there. And I just want to stick to just a few simple things to get your minds thinking about this. We're on a journey through Acts where we're going to see how God worked radically in the early church, breaking down barriers and helping them overcome and to be the witnesses. And so just on a practical level, I want you to imagine with me for a moment that everyone that you come in contact with in your lives is on a journey to know God If we consider that they um, are going from zero through to 10, they are on a journey. Zero is someone that you meet that doesn't know God and does not want to hear from you about your faith. Zero. And then if you imagine you've got that progressively going all the way through to a 10, which is someone that has become convinced that there is God and that they want to commit and give their lives to him. So zero through to 10. If we think in those terms, then we will not be overwhelmed if we consider that our role is bringing or helping bring people further along that scale. Sometimes God will have us in our lives, in our relationships, watering very hard ground. We might take someone that's um, anti-Christians to being more like, okay, they they seem like normal people. Or you may be someone that they've come further along that and you're able to invite them to church or talk about God with them. And sometimes we're privileged enough to be part of this person's story that is actually ready to commit to God. But we are joining God in what his Holy Spirit is doing in people's lives, bringing them to him. So think in terms of that, you won't be, we won't be so overwhelmed. Secondly, we need to consider that it's not about a job just for the professionals. You know, many people don't witness because they believe, well, that's for the pastor or the person with the training, the degree, the person that um, has obvious gifting in evangelism. Was that what the early church was like? No, it was mostly fishermen, wasn't it? It was mostly people of humble backgrounds. Reminds me in one Corinthians, I think it is, where God talks, oh, God through Paul talks about the fact that God chose the lowly, the weak, to um, to boast in Him rather than in their own strength or in their own wisdom. God can use us. And um, we do not need to be professionals, because remember, we have the Holy Spirit in us. The Holy Spirit is our strength. Um, The spirit Paul talked about to Timothy, it says it's not a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power of love and self-discipline. I'm not this morning going to talk too much about God's Holy Spirit, because last week Joel spoke on this subject so powerfully. If you didn't hear his sermon I really recommend, go on the link with the newsletter and listen to it. God's Holy Spirit is our strength, not that we're professionals. One of the things that gets in the way of us witnessing is that we think you have to to be good enough, and that's not the case. We just need to be submitted to God and guided by him. Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Why are the workers few? I believe it's because many of us workers think we're spectators. We think we're on the sidelines cheering others on, forgetting that actually that's what we should be doing. We're the workers. The next point is um, we need to make friends. We need to make connections. I'm a big believer in friendship evangelism. Um, I think that very often in life we look through people and we don't connect with people. And I think this is particularly important in areas that we spend a lot of time in our work environments, in our social areas, our kids' schools. We need to purposefully look for ways of connecting with people. It starts simple. It's having eye contact, it's smiling, it's being friendly it's asking questions, it's showing genuine interest in the people that come into our lives on a daily basis or on a regular basis. And trying to make that connection, it means getting to know people, hearing their stories. Not judgmental. because why is it that we sometimes have expectations for those outside the family of God, as we would for ourselves? We need to live life in such a way that gives witness to who God is, but not in a self-righteous way. We put people off if we preach, or if we come across as if we've got it all so together and aren't authentic. But we need to make relationships. At the end of the day, it's all about people. Nothing else lasts. Everything else is fleeting. It's people that matter. And so we need to look at ways to connect with people. And I believe we need to be led by God's Holy Spirit. What would it look like if every one of us here this morning, this coming week, every morning, the first thing we did was ask God to fill us with his Spirit and bring us opportunities in that coming day to connect, what would it look like? It, for each of us, it's different. We have different environments, different work, or um, different strengths even. But I believe that very quickly, we would have stories to share at, at how God had opened opportunities to be a friend, to connect, to listen, to encourage other people. And so we need to be, we need to be led and in tune, walk in tune with God's Spirit. My fourth point on this is probably one that you're going to find hard. And I believe we need to know our own story, and we need to know what the good news, or be able to express the good news. When I started speaking just now, I gave my testimony. One minute it took me to tell you, and I could have said it in different ways, I could have certainly said it longer, but to tell you a little bit about what my life was before, and what it is now. I did that as an example of how useful it is to know our own stories, and to be able to, in a concise way that someone can relate to, tell people what God has done in our lives. Because if we're gonna be asking God to give us opportunities, people might then say, well, how come you're a Christian? And I know that that's often when we go, and we we don't know how to verbalize it. This is something I did over 20 years ago. I remember in my my home group, same as a city group, we all worked out or expressed to each other what our stories were, and then helped each other um, make it shorter you know, and practiced with each other how to share our testimony in a sort of concise way. And I would like to ask you, city groups, put aside a few weeks for this. Hear each other's stories. I know you're going to have to keep them not too long, because otherwise they're going to take the next year doing this. But hear each other's stories. Help each other to... to, to um, Bring together a cohesive testimony of what God's done in your life and practice telling each other your stories. And, And perhaps a little bit more difficult is practice telling each other what the heart of the gospel message is. I've got a a slide here. This is just one example that you can find that often people use. It's a visual way of expressing the gospel message. There are lots of ways. I would suggest in city groups, choose two or three ways of of, um, telling the gospel message in a way that people can understand and practice it in your city groups, become familiar. Because what if someone then does open up to you and say, yeah, well, what is this about Jesus? What what did he do? Practice it. We need to be um, workmen ready and able to handle these sort of questions that might come up. You don't have to be a theologian. In fact, that would get in the way. We need to be sincere, humble children of God that want to tell people, about the grace in which we now stand. I'm almost on my last point, but my next one is look at ways to bring people in. It's all about relationships. Nothing else in this life has any value apart from people. Look at ways to bring people that you're, you're trying to connect with who are here to bring them in closer. For Laurie and I, when we lived in Zimbabwe, we loved to go camping. Nothing very fancy. We had a tent and we would just go and um, into the bush and set up our tent. And it was a way of going away with friends, but we always invited people that us or our friends were trying to connect with. And we would invite them along. And the amazing thing about doing life with Christians but with others is that they get to see how normal we are, and what fun we can have, and yet also how different we are. Because we are. We should be salt and light. But it is an amazing way of drawing people closer in. And as we do life together, we used to always have um, volleyball after a Sunday service. Everyone was invited. Another way to connect. What does it look like for you? How could you make this work in your life? How could you draw people into your your circle and get them involved? To begin with, when they're on the remember that that naught to ten. To begin with, it needs to be sort of social, sort of things that they can feel comfortable in. As they progress, you'll be able to do. Other things. You'll be able to invite them to church, city groups, alpha courses. I know that Ben is running an alpha course in his work, and I think there's others that have done that. You have to have built relationships to have done that, but it's somewhere down that line. Look for ways to bring people into a relationship and ultimately into God's family. And my last point is pray and keep on praying and keep on praying, because we need to be persistent in this. We're in it for the long haul. If we're doing evangelism on the, um, the friendship, bringing people in, we need to keep on seeking God, knowing that he's able to do immeasurably more than we hope, ask, or imagine, because of his power. I'm going to end with why is this important. As we saw from our passage this morning, Jesus who was risen into heaven in front of the disciples as they're looking up into the sky. Two angels stand beside them and say, Men of Galilee, this man that you see before your eyes ascending, going into heaven, is going to return the same way that he went. Jesus is going to return. Jesus is coming back. And this time... He's not coming as the servant king in humility that laid beside his position in heaven and became a man humbled himself and gave up his life. This time he's coming in power as the Israel 2,000 years ago, was hoping for. He is going to return in power. And for all those who have, have believed in him for salvation, this will be a time of rejoicing. The marriage of the Lamb has come. But for those who haven't, this is a time of judgment. And there are many thousands, I don't even know the numbers, of lives at stake. Time is short. We don't know when Jesus will return. As he said in this passage, only the Father knows the times or the dates. But we need to live in a way like the early church that had such an expectation of Jesus's return, they thought it would be in their lifetime, that it led them to be sacrificial sacrificial in the way that they witnessed to who he was. We have been given his Holy Spirit. We have been given everything. We're not plan B. We are God's plan, the church, to reach out into the nations. And we need to take this on board and be active, be prepared and equipped and ready to do it. We need to take the gospel message out into Dubai, into our home nations, and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Visit www.cityhillglobal.com to find out more about City Hill Church. (laughs)